0: ...celebrate that God has taken on flesh to live among us. We come to focus our whole attention on Emmanuel, the one who is the incarnate God, the one by whose life and death we have been set free, the one who by his life and death our sins are forgiven, our life is renewed, our whole future is different. Our consciences are salved and our, our hope is fixed on something eternal. Oh God, for those of us who have thought that we could find joy from stuff from this world. Perhaps we thought, oh God, that the thing that would fill up the vacuum within us is a, is a successful career. And then we got one, and it was, it was empty. At least our hearts were still empty. Then, then there were others of us who thought that perhaps it would be a marriage and family that would fill up that vacuum that existed in our hearts. That, too, became dry as dust. And then there were those who thought that living a life completely autonomous a life where the law of God was spurned and ignored and scoffed at. Perhaps that. Perhaps a life lived completely outside of limits. Maybe that would bring the kind of satisfaction that we've longed for, and none of it, oh God. None of it has worked. And so, Father, we come to remember that the only thing that will give us abundant life Is Christ Christ Jesus the Lord Christ Jesus the child Christ Jesus the Savior Christ Jesus Emmanuel and I pray father within every heart here today there is there is a a longing to know him and a longing to love him far beyond that which we experience right now our father It is through Christ that we love you. But we love you so little. And our hope is that through the the unfolding of time that you will find our hearts fuller. More full of not of stuff. But more full of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, it is a thrilling, sweet season. And I pray that tomorrow, while the wrapping paper is being ripped and torn, and the the empty hearts of people who cry out for something meaningful, that they'll remember Emmanuel, the God who saw fit to set aside his rights to deity and become flesh, So that we, who were so spiritually poor, could be spiritually rich by his life and death. Oh God, it is your son that we come to worship. Accept our praise, Father. We understand that the only worshiper here is not the singers and the preacher. But that the only audience that has gathered is this entire group of people. That we are the ones who have come to worship before the audience which is in heaven. That there is one who watches. That there is one who peers through our actions and our, and our rituals. There is one who examines whether our hearts are pure and, and right before him. And we have come as a group of performers before the audience of one. We have come to lay our worship before the God who so richly deserves it. So, Father, we pray that you will enjoy what you see here and that you will also enjoy watching your people give. That you will take pleasure, that there is sacrifice among us. That there is a willingness on our part to set aside fleshly desire and invest in that which is eternal. And I pray, Father, that not only our worship will please you, our singing and our praying, but that our giving will please you as well. Our Father, we come to you today in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord, who taught his people to pray, saying together, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Second epistle of Paul to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, you would think, now, wouldn't you, that, um, oh, it's happened again. You would think, now, wouldn't you, that, um, someone who is in touch with his surroundings. Would um, bring to the pulpit on S- Christmas Eve morning something that would be um, light and airy, something that would uh, have a certain. It would close with a with a nice little story uh, that would that would hopefully add a measure of uh, family warmth to the to the to the hearth. You would think that now, wouldn't you? You would never dream of someone ever, would you, uh, of offering to a congregation on Christmas Eve something as sterile and as academic as a piece of Greek exegesis. now would you? You would uh, you would not uh, you would not want to be subjected on Christmas Eve to something that is so so stale and, and academic. Well, that's what I've got for you. And um, my hope is that it won't be stale and academic at all. My hope is that it will... Um, you know, you, you wonder, how does God speak to his people? Does he go through their fingertips? Perhaps come through the palms or the the arches of their feet? Or does he take his word and so expose it to the people of God that they find that they're in touch with this God because they've listened to what he said? That's what I hope that you'll get this morning is a little bit clearer of a word from heaven concerning the richness of this season. My text is found in Second in Corinthians 9, verse 15. And um, because it's Christmas and such a important time of the year, I decided that I would memorize my text. <clears throat> it's verse 15. Thanks be unto God for His... Gift. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where the problem begins. It begins with the word <coughs> that Paul used to describe the gift. Um, I don't know how many translations are represented, that is, English translations of the Bible are represented in this room this morning. But um, I'm you know you know. there's more than just one English translation. There's the New American Standard and the New International Version and the New King James. And, and my curiosity was first aroused when I discovered that when it came to that word, that word in my text, verse 15, that the, the various English translations differed not widely, but they differed in terms of what word they used there. <laughs> Just a brief survey, if you've got a King James version of the Bible or an American Standard version of the Bible, you will find the word unspeakable. That is, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And if you are having your laps the um, New International Version, the New King James Version, or the New American Standard Version of the Bible, you will find the word indescribable that is thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift and if you've got a revised standard version you will find the word inexpressible thanks be unto God for his inexpressible gift that's when my curiosity was aroused ladies and gentlemen when I discovered that the translators of these English versions When they came to the Greek word that is in the Greek New Testament, I I think you all know that the New Testament was written in the Greek language. When they came to that word that was in the Greek, they they, they made (coughs) gallant efforts (coughs) at trying to translate that word. And so I decided, I'm going to have to take a close look at that word that all these translators seem to be Struggling as to how to put it into an English word, and then I discovered, ladies and gentlemen, just how how difficult wasn't was the problem indeed, because the Greek word that is found there, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, oh my, is it an odd one? In fact, it is what's known as a hapax legomena. Now, if you really want to impress your friends, just drop that on them. My preacher told us this morning about a hapax legomena. A hapax legomenum simply means that it's found one time in the Bible. It's not this word that is so difficult here is found only one time, and it's found only one time because Paul made it up. It's a it's a combination of really four words. It uh, it begins with what is called a Greek particle. Ah, alpha. And you'll notice in each one of these English words that is used, they all begin with a undescribable or indescribable or inexpressible. And they're, they're trying to say expressible, not. Can't express it. Well, in the Greek language, the way you do that is simply put an, an alpha, like the word amoral, amoral. It means... <laughs> it's descriptive of our culture there is no morality that's that's simply what the A ah does the alpha does and then then you get side-by-side side two Greek prepositions ek or ex, which means out of and dia which means through or across And then you come to the root of the word. Now, Paul's got this all crammed into one word, anekdiageko. 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 Does it make any difference to you? But uh, the root of the word, hageomai. Now, that's a word that we do find frequently in the New Testament. But unfortunately, it's a word... That is translated nine different ways in the New Testament. Get yourself a concordance, a Greek concordance, and look up the Greek term hageomai. And you will find it used, oh, 47 times, I'm guessing, numerous times in the New Testament. And when it is used, the English translators translate that word nine different ways. And so what you get is a root word that people really have not concluded how exactly it is to be translated then coupled to that you get a preposition and another preposition and the negative particle ah now was that edifying for you Try not to look too bored. Um, uh, Do do you see, do do you have any sense of where I might be going? All right, ladies and gentlemen, stay with me. Let's, if we can, transport ourselves existentially back, back to about 64 A.D. And we're there watching the Apostle Paul pin his letter, his second letter, to the Corinthian church. And there he sits with quill in hand and he's trying to communicate to people that he loves something about the wonders of what God has done. So there we are, coaching him and encouraging him to write on Paul. And so he comes to this portion of his letter, and we're, he's 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 almost speaking it out loud as as he's writing it. And he says, "Thanks be unto God for this," and he pauses. And he turns to us and he says, what word should I use? And we say, well, Paul, we have no not the slightest idea. What are you, what are you trying to say? And he says, well, uh, I want to tell the Corinthians, thanks be unto God for this, this gift. And um, we certainly know what gift he has in mind. It's this gift that he has sent via this one grand consummating gift in that he has sent his son to dwell among men. And he looks at us and he says, could you help me out here? Could you help me come up with an appropriate adjective? Now, you do know what adjectives are, don't you? It hasn't been that long since we were in English class. An adjective is a word that describes a noun or a pronoun. So we've got the gift. And Paul is trying to find a word. He searches his vocabulary high and low from the ardvarks to the zarzolis. He grabs his thesaurus. He handles a, a Webster's dictionary. He's trying to find a word that will properly and adequately describe the gift. And you know what he concludes? He concludes, there is no word. There is not a word at my disposal that could possibly convey the beauties and the wonders of this gift. There is nothing available to me in my language that will give expression. There is nothing that I know of that will allow me to properly communicate to the people of God. How glorious and how marvelous is this gift? Language failed. Words were too feeble a, a medium to try and communicate all that he wanted to the people of God to know. And so finally, at the end of his, of his search for a word, he says, well, I'll just have to invent one. So he scrambles around with a couple of prepositions and a negative particle and a root word, and he comes and he plugs that one in here. Because ultimately, I don't know what else to do, says Paul. Now, fast forward with me about, oh, I don't know, 1900 years. And you're trying to translate the Greek New Testament, so that you can sell a new Bible to the Christian church far and wide. You're going to be a translator of the Greek Testament to give them a Bible that they can really understand. And boy, you've made it all the way through Leviticus. You've translated Joel and and you've finished with Malachi. You've gotten through all the Gospels. You've handled Romans quite academically and, and accurately. You get over to 2 Corinthians 9. Here you are. You're going to translate for the people of God what it is that Paul said to them. And you stumble upon 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 15. And you see this word and you say, "Well, um, um let me let me check my my Greek syntax. Let me check the uh, the concordances that are available to me." Let me check all the vines and the weast and the kittle. Let me check all the word studies that have been done about Greek words. And you find that in your effort to translate it, you are stuck in the same dilemma as was the Apostle Paul. What is it that Paul is trying to say? So you fumble around with your Webster's Dictionary come to the place where you say, okay, I'm going to use the word indescribable. But another translator comes along and says, no, 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 that that won't quite do it. That's not good enough. I'm going to use the word inexpressible. And then still another translator comes along and says, those are good. Those are helpful. But I... I lean towards the word unspeakable all of them all of them added together fall short of trying to give adequate expression in description of this gift it is unspeakable It is indescribable. It is inexpressible. It is unfathomable. Because, ladies and gentlemen, when you come to discuss what God has done in Christ, language will fail. You know, when I was doing my doctoral work, um, I, I took a communications class and and um, you have to do the, you know, do the classwork and then you have to write the dissertation and the interesting three orals and all that business. And, um, and the classwork was the easiest, but the classwork was on, a, um, on communication. And one of the facts that they told us in that class on communication, get this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, somebody did a study, uh, some kind of, Somebody did a study about what are the factors that contribute toward success? What are the things? And so the professor threw that out to us. He said, what are the factors that are that contribute toward the success of, of anyone? And so we offered our suggestions. Education. Degrees. Academic pedigree. Wrote that up on the board. Um, some of us were a little bit more... Um, Uh, I don't know, sarcastic, said um, inheritance. All you got to do is have a big inheritance. Hell, do you. So we sort of listen to things and things. You know, the things contributing um, natural abilities. And this study, whether it's right or wrong, suggested this, that the number one factor contributing to success was vocabulary. My daughter is taking a, a, a graduate, a GRE uh, uh, graduate exam to get an in her into graduate school and, and one of the books that they give them is just a vocabulary book with little flashcards and you're supposed to learn all this vocabulary. Because vocabulary is the thing that will show that you're smart. I guess. Vocabulary is the thing that, that will contribute to success. Vocabulary is the thing that, that will intimidate. I told you my story one time about living or checking into a motel in Washington D.C. and and everything was so loud and and uh, there was this band playing in the room next door to us or either in our room I forget. But um, uh, I stormed to the front and and told the guy that something's got to be done. I've got three small children. We're not getting any sleep. And. Um, he was just this impudent little guy, but he was behind this glass wall and I couldn't get to him. <clears throat> and so I said, as I stormed away, the last thing I need in a soporific institution is an Im- a mendacious teller. Do you know what that means? You know what mendacious means? It means he's a liar. You know what soporific means? It means tending towards sleep. So here I'm in a motel, soporific institution, and I've got somebody behind the thing there who's mendacious, he's a liar. See how that, I mean, oh, well, I'm dealing with somebody really smart here. That that intimidates, language does that. Ladies and gentlemen, when you get ready to describe the gift of God so that sinners might be set free from their sin, vocabulary will do you no good because words are simply not available to help us grasp the wonder and the grandeur of what God has done for us in Christ it really doesn't matter which word you use because they all fail it's it's like trying to tell, it's like trying to tell somebody born blind about a sunset. And all of the language that you can muster will not give an adequate picture of a sunset to someone who can't see. Or describing a symphony to someone born deaf. How do you communicate the wonders and beauty of music to someone who cannot hear? Ladies and gentlemen, all of that to say when you try to communicate the wonders and splendors of what God has done for us, language will fail us. Because this gift is... It's inexpressible. It's undescribable, It is unspeakable. And let's say that you were so determined to communicate that you decided to try and and use analogies well let me tell you what it's like you know what an analogy is don't you this is like this and thus you get some kind of communication going you know but when it comes to trying to give an analogy about this gift ladies and gentlemen you start by saying it's like this and then that's as far as you can get because this gift transcends my ability to analogize you know, um, tomorrow morning. Um, you know, it's a it's an obscene thing to walk in my house and see what's under my tree right now. And we don't even have grandmommy's presents yet, and Uncle Steve is still on his way. And so <clears throat> there's there's a mound of gifts. And tomorrow, you know, it's it, it looks so much better before you take the wrapping off than afterwards, doesn't it? I mean, um, it looks so beautiful, and then all of a sudden that beautiful box you know contains something you didn't want. And what the heck, I mean, why are you having another anyway? You know, it's ugly and... You know, tomorrow we're going to rip through paper and, and we're gonna un, unwrap gifts. And very frankly, many of those gifts will be easy to describe There'll be cheap gifts. There'll be ugly gifts. There'll be expensive gifts. There'll be perfect gifts. There'll be thoughtful gifts and generous gifts and unexpected gifts and dutiful gifts. But when it comes to what God has done in Christ, you do not have an adjective. And you will never discover the proper adjective to describe what God has done so that we as sinners would not perish. When you contemplate or seek to contemplate this gift, the apostle was left speechless, breathless, You know, ladies and gentlemen, when the when the soul most aches for self-expression, our speech becomes strangely broken and incoherent. When the heart overflows, the tongue fails, the tongue will stammer when we recognize the profundity of that gift. It's all simply too wonderful for words. You know, gang, perhaps all these superlatives have uh, have been wasted on you. This gift no longer holds the kind of fascination and enchantment for you that it once did. We perhaps have become like Professor Higgins and. And my fair lady, we've grown accustomed to its face. It's second nature to us now. And so the age-old adage that familiarity has done its dastardly deed because it has bred contempt in us. The gift. Oh, yeah, the gift. Or perhaps there are those who are here today who are so benighted that they don't even know what gift I'm alluding to. Gang, whereas describing that gift is baffling, I can with clarity tell you what that gift is. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of Jesus Christ, that one consummate gift, the giving of His only Son, which allows me to then say to you that heaven is a free gift It cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved. You do not merit this gift. It is a gift that is only received by faith. Jesus Christ dies on a cross and purchases a place in heaven for me. And then he extends to me the gift of eternal life. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know on September the 10th of 1970, I took it. I received the gift of eternal life. Have you? Have you received that gift? Because ladies and gentlemen, all those other cheap, expensive, dutiful, precious, generous Those gifts make for nothing unless you have received this gift. Ladies and gentlemen, um, there's, there's a demand, or maybe I should... This gift demands some kind of response from you. This gift that is so overwhelming in the life of the Apostle Paul, it demands a response from you. You may choose in your response, you may choose to ignore it. Treat it as if it were never proffered. Ignore that there even exists a gift. And go on your way thinking all is well. You may choose to decline it, which is really a whole lot more intellectually honest than to ignore it. You may choose to decline this gift that God makes available to sinners. Or you may some way, somehow, formally accept it. That is, as one accepts a book tomorrow morning that he will never open and read. Or accepts a tie that he doesn't ever intend to wear. Or you may wholeheartedly embrace it. You may embrace this gift as a thirsty man grabs hold of a glass of water, or a, or a drowning man grabs hold to an extended hand. But, ladies and gentlemen, there must be some response to this, the indescribable gift. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, that our text suggests that all I need do is lift my heart to a God. Lift extend my hand and receive the gift of eternal life. And if you've never received that gift, oh, my friends, all the bows and wrapping paper in the universe will never fill the empty heart that you have at this present moment. I am going to close by telling you a story and, and I... Um, if I offend... I don't think I will. It's only one family that I will offend, and I don't think they will be offended in the slightest. But I have not asked their permission. But it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission, I guess. Do you have any recognition, or do you have any remembrance of last Christmas? Remember anything about it? Do you remember that there was a portion of our congregation that was gripped in a life-and-death struggle? Do you remember that Carol Ostell was in Nashville, Tennessee, receiving a bone marrow transplant. you remember that? That was this time last year. And on December the 7th, and I, as uh, along with so many of you, were on this email address book, and so when Steve would send out an email, I would get it along with so many others of you. And on December the 7th of last year, Carol's brother, Jonathan, offered 10% of his bone marrow to Carol. And her dead bone marrow was replaced with her brother's bone marrow, which has gone on to flourish and Carol is now, in fact, was up here singing this morning. And in that, that email that she wrote, or whoever wrote it on that day, she was saying, that Jonathan was a bit sore in the offering of that 10% of bone marrow. And I don't know how sore you get when you give up 10% of your bone marrow, but apparently you get pretty sore. Um, But he was doing fine and his bone marrow would grow back and of course, Jonathan is healthy as an ox now. And so is Carol. And then she went on to say, and I remember writing it down, I'm so grateful for this gift of life. Ladies and gentlemen, I guarantee you, Carol, will still will, and Steve will stand at both of my sides and say to you, that gift in no way compares. Our Father, I thank you for the New Testament. I thank you for the entire Bible. But oh God to think that man's hope is depicted in such such glorious terms that a man who yet was even inspired by the Holy Spirit could not come up with an adequate word to express how wonderful and how marvelous is the gift of eternal life. And Father, if Paul, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, couldn't do it, how could I? How could I possibly communicate to these precious people that this gift in the person and the work of Jesus Christ means not only about life abundant now, but it means life eternal later. Oh, God, apart from my vain stammerings of tongue wholly apart from what I've said or perhaps done, O oh God might your people by the ministry of the Holy Spirit find something so overwhelming about the gift and Heavenly Father if there are those here today whose empty hearts are crying out to God for something to fill them up might they find that satisfaction in the beauty of this gift. Oh God, those of us who are redeemed children, we worship and bless you and praise you that you have sent us the gift of Jesus Christ.